0: Welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Jan Orman. In this podcast series, we've invited people we know and admire to tell you their stories. My name's Paula Cottervich.
1: So my name is Craig Sample. Evie Rader.
0: Molly Shorthouse. And my is Percy Knight. I was a career detective in the New South Wales Police Force. I identify as a trans woman. I am a remote doctor in East Arnhem Land. These are people who may not have made the headlines, but whose stories are just as worthy of your attention as those you hear about in the media. Living with cancer. I was struggling
1: with PTSD for eight or nine years. I just had a lot of fear.
0: I was well and truly burnt out. These are people who have flourished and met life's challenges while managing their social and emotional well-being. Uh, My career now. Uh, is as a mental health advocate and educator. Definitely taught me in my life
1: a lot of persistence and given me a lot I of strength. Team, that,
0: We're hoping you'll find something in these stories to inspire you, whatever your situation right now. I want to introduce you to Benjamin Gilmore. Benjamin is primarily a paramedic, but he's also an author and a filmmaker. This year, his memoir, The Gap, was published. The Gap is about his time stationed at Bondi Ambulance Station working as a paramedic in the summer of 2007, 2008. Benjamin's memoir is, yes, a lot about suicide. But it's not just about the people who die by suicide or who want to die by suicide. It's also about the people who rescue them and about how those people cope with the situations they find themselves in. Benjamin's come to tell us a little bit about himself, about why he felt the need to write that memoir and about the memoir itself.
1: Hi, I'm Benjamin Gilmore. I'm a paramedic, an author, and a filmmaker. I've just returned from the US where my film *Joga*, which was the Australian entry to the Academy Awards 2019, opened in US cinemas. And this week, uh, launching uh, my new book, The Gap. The Gap is a memoir about the summer of 2007, 2008, where the suicide rate seemed to peak in the eastern suburbs, uh, particularly around the Gap. And um, it was a very hot summer. This was the pre-lockout pre laws. It was very intense in the city, King's Cross, Darlinghurst. Um, it was really busy. And at the same time, a story of how my work partner at the time was um, Descending into this kind of spiral of depression after a relationship breakup. And so the book explores our conversations with people attempting suicide as well as a variety of other emergencies um, that was leading to uh, fatigue, burnout, um, and in his case, uh, and in my case, uh, in the context of... Our own personal um, uh, relationship breakdowns even though this book the first draft was written ten years ago and put in a bottom drawer because I thought it was way too sensitive to bring out at that time I'm really glad that some of my colleagues urged me to do an edit and send it to a publisher because um, of the importance of this story Um, And so my hope is that, uh, somehow, it will help other people realize that they're not alone and give them some ideas as to ways in which they can save their own lives. So I I joined the ambulance service in 1996 and I think I was around 19. I, I, I remember being the youngest ambo in the state at that time and I think it helped that I'd just come back from India where I'd been working with Mother Teresa in Calcutta and uh, she allowed me to put her on my resume as a referee which is quite helpful I guess getting a a job like that at such a young age and um, I was young and keen I had wanted to be a paramedic for a long time Um, I had seen paramedics at work in the city. I remember when I was 16 I went into the city one night with my friends and there were two unconscious people lying on Town Hall railway station and I remember the paramedics turning up and um, so coolly so calmly uh, injecting these two people who had a heroin overdose injecting them with Narcan which is the antidote and um, I didn't realize what they were doing I just saw these two paramedics giving them an injection and within seconds uh, these individuals started breathing and they sat up and got up and I thought Yeah, I want to do that. I want to I <laughs> bring people back from the dead um, It was it was super impressive. So it was an ambition that, that I had from that from that day on I've worked all over the state as a paramedic and I've spent a lot of time working overseas uh, in a voluntary capacity on ambulances in various countries, and I wrote a book in 2013, Paramedico, um, a bestseller about those experiences. And I had some advice early on in my career, some of it good, some not so good. <laughs> I remember one older paramedic who used to come to the door of my parents' house in uniform selling Amway. And I remember you know, grilling him on the job, and he said, oh, as long as you don't stay in for more than 10 years, you'll be okay. But if you stay in longer than that, you'll be messed up, med- mentally and physically. And, um, you know, after 24 years, you know, I enjoy it, I love it. It's extremely satisfying, It's satisfying helping people. It's a privilege to help people and get paid for it. I mean, it's a great deal. So, extremely gratifying line of work. I started as a paramedic in 1996 as an ambulance officer, actually, and uh, Back then, the training looked very different. It was kind of a vocational um, entry training that was uh, conducted by the ambulance service at the time, Uh, whereas nowadays it's a university degree, a three-year full-time degree, and is a lot more in-depth. Back in those days, the focus was on what we were most commonly seeing, which which was uh, physical trauma um, medical related um, illnesses uh, chronic conditions and less about you know less about the psychological emergencies less about mental health but that's kind of shifted over the years so in the 24 years that I've worked there has been a gradual you know improvement in cardiac care so we're seeing less chest pain less congestive heart failure, less uh, less heart attacks in the community. There's been an improvement in vehicles and in road safety laws resulting in less car accidents, and when they do happen, um, less damage and less injuries, chance of injury due to airbags and lower speed limits and crumple zones and whatnot. So a lot of the traditional uh, emergencies that paramedics Um, once attended to um, has shifted to uh, to 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 social work and to mental health work uh, in the community we commonly get called to people feeling depressed and suicidal or people who are uh, going suffering psychosis this is a very common call in fact it's the second most common call uh, after Falls and unfortunately, as this has evolved, um, our, our training in that area has not necessarily kept up. Um, and so much of what I have learned, I have learned on the job, speaking to patients, uh, self-education, reading, and trial and error. Uh, and, and so, you know, that has had its pitfalls. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've learned the hard way of, of things not to say. Uh, and, and I've learned, you know, some things that really work very well. And it's all, all, for, all from, from experience. And, you know, I enjoy learning that way. I have really embraced uh, this change. In fact, my interest now, uh, after 24 years, is much less in the clinical side of the work, I'm not that guy who you can have a conversation with about pre-hospital ultrasound, or you know the the benefits of ketamine in head injuries, or that's not me. Um, I am, however, fascinated with the human mind. I'm fascinated with uh, what leads people to the point. Where they feel death is better than life I 'm um, drawn to the choices people make for their own lives and uh, all the factors that affect their uh, ability to feel happy i'm interested in how people live i'm interested in their relationships uh, and and their history and so the draw card for me with this job now is very much about. Um, it, it, the draw card for me with this job is very much about the way it's changed, become this kind of emergency social work. For years, I was dealing with the frustration of being sent to patients in cardiac arrest and working so hard and sweating and carrying them down flights of stairs. And doing CPR in the back of the ambulance in the middle of summer, only to find that even if we did get a pulse back, that very rarely would they ever uh, walk out of hospital alive. And it, I became despondent about uh, my usefulness. And uh, I had colleagues who managed to get a few patients back and and save their lives, and you know they were presented with. With little kind of heart-shaped medallions in, in official ceremonies to celebrate uh, this incredible rare event, because it is rare that patients who suffer cardiac arrest will um, will be saved. Uh, it does happen, but over that ten year period in the job um, up to the point where the gap was written and the events of this particular summer uh, I had to my knowledge, never had a patient leave hospital after suffering a cardiac arrest. Now, that, was, that really you know, affected me and frustrated me. Um, the idea that you know, I was a, in this job and people perceived me as being someone that saved lives and yet, to my knowledge, I hadn't. Um, and it's only now, many years later, that I realize there are many different ways to save a life, and that sometimes that can be a conversation you have with someone. it can be asking them about uh, whether they have been having thoughts of taking their lives that can be um, it can be intervening in a moment where their life hangs in the balance because they are ready um, they're ready to take it uh, and and embrace death and so you know. For me accepting that and the frequency now of calls to people who are depressed and suicidal um, Changing the way I think about The meaning of this job uh, has been really helpful and very fulfilling What I've learnt about some of the simple measures that can help people who are at the point where they want to take their lives um, what I've learned is that sometimes it just comes down to kindness, love, and empathy. So recognizing warning signs, of course, very important. And you know, help-seeking behavior, words, text messages, the hints that this person, this loved one, um, maybe turning the idea of suicide over in their mind. Um, it's important to be in tune to those warning signs and then not to hesitate in starting a conversation. I I think we know now that being shy about talking about suicide is not helpful and that we shouldn't be beating around the bush anymore. What we know about paramedic work in general and the impact of the work on us uh, and this was supported by a groundbreaking study that Beyond Blue did in 2018 about um, emergency workers police and emergency workers uh, is that it it, the work does have an enormous impact on us and um, that we're at a uh, as higher risk of uh, PTSD and uh, as the military and our suicide rate is, is the second highest, uh, second only to the military. So, um, when you're in a job where your mistakes and your failures uh, cost lives, um, it can it potentially can really it can destroy you, and it has. It has, um, you know, I've I've known paramedics that have that have left the job uh, because of this very. This very issue of of, of, of the guilt uh, that they feel about perceived failures, and so even if it's just in our minds, um, when you lose a patient, uh, because you're really working against fate a lot of the time, you're working against impossible odds, and um, and you give it your best shot, but uh, uh, so often it doesn't go uh, favourably uh, for for the individual you you take a bit of that on certainly i do Uh, particularly if a case didn't go very well if there were and it's often very chaotic they're not only um that only affect paramedics i think they're they're common to any professions where people meet death on a regular basis and uh, more often than not can't do much about it Uh, there are also the triggers that you build up over time um, that are that are connected to cases that you've been to, um, and so that might be uh, an intersection or a uh, a road that you you try and avoid travelling along because of uh, an accident. You may have gone there. It might be a house that that um, triggers a thought every time you drive past it. Um, for me, it's uh, I've got a few few of them. Um, but even seeing uh, a doll on the floor at home in my family home or my, one of my kids' dolls um, bring back memories of, of a case and I, and I think that um, you know most paramedics would um, would have those kind of issues and they they vary but I think there there are triggers all around in saying that there are many coping mechanisms that have helped me last this long in the job I think one of the one of the keys to, uh, one of the keys to pushing through these dark thoughts uh, is the humour, the humour that I share with my colleagues, the humour that is shared between uh, many people working in um, in the realm of of death and suffering, doctors, nurses, police, undertakers, this gallows humour. Um, it, some people might find it uh, very confronting, who are not in working in that field. I can understand that. But for us, uh, and certainly for me, um, speaking for myself, I've found that enormously helpful. Uh, it um, shines light in the dark, and uh, it kind of keeps us going. Uh, so, how do I cope? Apart from humour, um, there are other important outlets. And I think um, fitness of some kind, so some kind of sport, for me it's surfing, um, running, that's really important. A regular physical exercise is vital to your mental health. Um, That's backed up, underpinned by a lot of research, we know that. Uh, Mindfulness techniques, so... uh, I do a little bit of meditation. I should do a lot more. Um, uh, I do breathing. Oddly, and my choice for mindfulness is playing the Indian uh, bamboo flute. I have a little <laughs> bamboo flute and um, I've got a collection of them actually. They're all in kind of different keys. Whenever I go to India, there'll usually be a, a, a flute seller on a street corner and um, I'll pick out a few. So I've got a little collection going, and depending on the mood I'm in, I'll pick a particular key. Um, and that I find that very th- therapeutic, very therapeutic. And uh, but you know, everyone has their own their own way of meditating, uh, and that's just my kind of thing. I think that talking talking things out and particularly uh, talking through um, your difficult experiences. Uh, is essential and I'm very grateful that we have a culture within the ambulance service at the moment uh, where we talk openly we are brothers and sisters we have an incredible platonic relationship uh, as paramedics and that allows us to not be shy in expressing our um, sadness about A case we might have attended together um, occasionally even shedding a tear together I think we've really come a long way and we've reached a point uh, for the most part in this in this profession certainly where I work and where I worked in Sydney um, where people are very open and accepting about sharing their emotions it wasn't just last month I was in I was sitting around a meal room at an ambulance station with four male officers. And the conversation uh, turned to our counsellors and everyone in the room had a counsellor they were seeing and they were discussing passionately the pros and cons of their particular counsellor. And I had to pinch myself. Um, I could not believe that we had reached this incredible point in time because historically, you know, the best you could hope for is being able to express some of these things to one other male. But in an environment of four males, and some of these guys were well into their uh, uh, late 50s, early 60s, and had been in the job a long time, To be in that environment where they were speaking openly about their counsellors, it was just a beautiful moment. It it felt like it needed to be celebrated. So I think we've come a long way, which is great, even though uh, we still need to address this self-stigmatisation. And so I think we have a a way to go when it comes to uh, recognising those signs in ourselves and uh, and then responding to that by reaching out. We're not good at reaching out. I'm not good at reaching out. I need to be better at that. Um, in saying that, in the time I've been a paramedic, particularly in the last five years, ambulance services around the country um, are working very hard on mental health, the mental health of their employees, and improving their wellbeing. For example, in the state of New South Wales, Uh, The service now holds wellness workshops, Um, they have increased numbers of peer support, officers, chaplains, counsellors, professional full-time counsellors employed. There's a lot of work and effort put into supporting staff. haven't used a mental health e-resource yet but I'm very excited um, to have recently learned about uh, a rescue plan known as uh, a rescue plan app known as the virtual hope box in which you can put in um, things you want to remind yourself about uh, why life is worth living you can upload uh, pictures of, of, of people or pets or funny videos things to make you Um, to to lift you your spirits in those dark moments, Um, things that can distract you like games, uh, things that can relax you like breathing, exercises, meditations. And it's a great little resource uh, for you to go to in those moments when you really need to open something that's gonna help you. Um, And it's part of your own rescue plan. And I think Beyond Blue's also got one called the Beyond Now Suicide Safety Plan, which I've heard is also brilliant. So I'm excited about exploring that more and I'd really like to incorporate uh, these apps into my practice as a paramedic to give patients uh, more resources um, to combat um, these uh, moments of despair that they um, find themselves in. Uh, The benefits of online resources in general like the suicide callback service which is brilliant um, is that you know, everyone has access pretty much to the internet now, um, in their pockets. Um, And so help is just as far away as you're fine. Um, And uh, so I think it's it's important that that is developed and evolved, and I'm really thrilled about these new developments uh, in that field. Part of um, my filmmaking, which is another way that I kind of remove myself from the the world of um, the paramedic, um, has been to explore the impact of um, mental health um, on veterans who have um, you know served in Afghanistan and Iraq and so the film Jirga which uh, has just opened in the US uh, what is about the story of a of a soldier who is very damaged who has a moral injury and um, is we imagine uh, his backstory to be is a soldier who has got to the point where he's wanting to take his own life but instead decides to buy a ticket to Kabul and go back to Afghanistan to apologize to the family of a civilian that he killed. And I guess that's another demonstration of a, a man with despair, with hopelessness, who is living with this pain of this guilt of this act that he committed over there um, of not choosing to take his life as an escape but to face up to the pain to do something about the root cause of his um, his despair and to make good and to come to a point of healing which he manages to achieve and and demonstrates that there are other ways there are other options to to death and I think that's important for people to, to, to remember in those moments that this is death is not the only way out here. You might feel trapped, but you really need to think harder. There are other ways to escape. So for those interested um, in seeing my film Joker, it's available right now on Stan, streaming platform in Australia. And uh and soon on iTunes. And uh, my book, The Gap, is out now, published by Penguin Random House, available in all good bookstores.
0: Thank you for listening. If there's been anything in this podcast that you've found distressing, don't forget to talk to your usual support person or call Lifeline on 131114. And if you'd like to hear more in the Being Well podcast series, you can find it on the Black Dog Institute website.